0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. This week we come to the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I suppose the question that comes underneath that is, Or I suppose there are two questions I've got. What are you desperate for? And what can't you live without? What are you desperate for? And what can't you live without? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that we sensed you were with us as we worshipped. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's just... It's a common reality for us week by week to sense your presence, to hear you speaking. Thank you that you're so gracious in the way that you speak. And Lord, I pray, yes, that for each one of us, we will take from today that which you have spoken into our hearts. And Lord, we would put it to work in Jesus' name. Amen. I found it helpful, though I'm not sure it was planned, that in our worship, we talked about trusting God. We talked about um, righteousness. Um uh, we talked about hungering and thirsting and things like that, because that's where we go today in our Beatitudes. But, but before we get there, I just want to make a comment. We, we live in a world that, if you look at it and some levels, it's a world without hope. We've got tensions right now in places like Syria and Venezuela and the Ukraine. I was talking to somebody yesterday, not to depress you, but I will say Anyway i was talking to somebody yesterday uh, and he was just he was he was telling me of a story of a an old lady who had who had been uh giving prophecies about what was going to go on in the world and i don't know when she gave these prophecies a while back i i think she might be dead now or very old but one of the prophecies she gave was um that at some point the us would be uh the the president of the usa would be a black man and uh this was and, and she said it would be around 2010. And she also said, and I, again, I don't mean to depress you. I'm just telling you what she said. She also said that during that time, uh, there would be uh, an invasion of um, uh, Ukraine by, by, the, by Russia. And that would lead to a third war. Now I'm not saying that, that I don't know that that's necessarily true. I'm sure there are other things she said that weren't true. Um, so just, yeah. So. Um, uh, remember, we've got Jesus, so... Yeah, okay. But, hey, guys, if we if these things happen, we live in our reality, don't we? Um, so they might not happen. And, uh, you know, there are various other things that she said. And uh, and he said... What what my friend said is he said he he stopped listening because it was depressing him. So he just... <laughs> as you do, when you hear things that are a little bit too much, you go, oh, I don't want to know about that. Um, but we... If you don't have Jesus, you can live in a world without hope. We have tragedies. Right now, we're, we're sitting in a world where a plane's gone missing. That just seems a bit, you know, that's what you read in, in like, you know, in the New Avengers. It's that type of thing where planes, planes don't go missing, but a plane has apparently gone missing. There's corruption at home. The police are guilty of spying on people. You've got this new law that's come into place. Why do we need such a law? Claire's Law where people are allowed to now go to the police and ask if their partner has had any previous uh, convictions for domestic violence. I mean, that's you think, what? You meet someone in a bar, you quite like them, and before you check them out, you phone your local police station and say, can you just tell me, is this guy on your records? We can live in a world at times without hope, But actually, when we realise the lack of hope in our world, it begins to come home to us how much of a hope Jesus is. Jesus came as the hope of the world. People sometimes think religion causes a lot of wars, a lot of problems, uh, but actually, when Jesus came, he came preaching the good news of the kingdom. He came preaching a new way. In Isaiah 61, it tells us that he preached good news to the poor that Jesus came with with good news for people. He didn't come with bad news, he came with good news. He came to comfort those who mourn, and he said in the Beatitudes, blessed are you. He said that again and again. Blessed are you. Happy are you. And so we live in a world without hope, but we come to a God of hope. And we must remember that. We can't pretend the world isn't as it is. But for us, there is comfort because we come to a God of hope. The Beatitudes can be very, very challenging. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. This one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I wonder if you use that phrase to anyone who had no sense of Christian thought, what would they make of it if you walked down the street and said, um, Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? I wonder what sort of response people would give you. They would wonder what sort of planet you've come from or what home you've come from. There is in us a natural reaction to the Beatitudes because in us there is a natural propensity for pride, for us. And that makes the Beatitudes difficult. And, and you can, at any given point, you can decide, do you know what, I'm just not going to hear those things. I'm not going to listen to those things. There's a natural reaction in us. And sometimes that can be, particularly if you're, if you're young, you just think, I'm not, I'm not interested in that, I know stuff. I know enough, I can get through. And these Beatitudes have this very personal application, but they also have a much broader one. This is about the kingdom of God, the people of God. They're signs of the kingdom being established in the hearts and lives of God's people. There is this progression. You talk about the blessed are the poor in spirit. And when we looked at that, you, it, it looked at the idea that, 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 that poor in spirit is to be broken. It's to recognize I've got nothing, nothing to give, nothing to bring. I'm broken because of my sin. There's this spiritual progression. And then when it talks about those who mourn, there's this spiritual progression of grieving over my sin. How many of us grieve over our sin? And then those who are meek. When it comes to being meek, there's this stark reality and inability to recognise that I can do anything about myself. R.T. Kendall talks about defensiveness. He says, you know when you're growing in meekness when you ask your friends, people who know you well, ask a number of them to really give you their honest opinion of you, and you don't get defensive. Yeah? How many of us are growing in meekness? I'm not, <laughs> yeah? I've grown to the point where I recognize that that would be an issue, yeah? When my friends begin to tell me, and I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, you want to respond, you want to come back. It's interesting, this week in, uh, in, in the two groups that I meet, the prayer groups that I have, we read John 13. And we're just reading through the, the last few chapters of John leading up to Easter. We read John 13, which, which is where uh, Jesus, um, he, he washes the disciples' feet. It's where uh, he says, you know, one of you is going to betray me. And it's where Peter says, I'll never betray you. And, and we all know what happened there. And um, and you realise as you read it that Jesus doesn't react. How would you react if you knew? So there's Judas sitting there. You knew that this person was about to shop you. How would you react? Jesus doesn't react. You don't find him getting defensive. You don't find him almost trying to get at uh, Judas. He, he, in fact, a few minutes earlier, he'd washed his feet. And then he says, go do what you do. What you've got to do, go do it quickly. Go do it quickly. And, and it wasn't that he wasn't anxious, because it also says he was anxious. There was anxiety there. So the, when we become meek, we, we become less defensive about ourselves and about our stuff. And when people pick home, we're, we're less likely to respond to that. So we're broken, we're grieved, we're humbled. And you know what? It's that that leads to the hunger and the thirst. righteousness and what is that it's to make your deepest desire motivation and goal the pursuit of God that's what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to make your deepest desire motivation and goal the pursuit of God the pursuit of God and it says, not only will you be blessed if you do that, but you will be satisfied. You will be filled. You will be. There will be part of you that will be complete. If you make that. One of the things that I do in the week is I, I listen to uh, uh, Magic FM. So, how many of you listen to Magic? Uh, Neil Fox and various other people. And uh, this week, they had this, uh, there was an interesting question that that was asked on the radio, and it was this. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Now, that probably gives a little bit of a hint to the age of magic listeners. (laughs) Yeah? So there aren't, no one under 20 listens to magic, (laughs) therefore it didn't matter. Uh, But what would you tell your 20-year-old self? And it was interesting. People were were texting in and tweeting in different answers. They were saying things like, oh, I wouldn't have bothered with him for those six months. That was a waste of time. Or, or, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have bothered go for that job. Or I wouldn't have bothered pursued that. A lot of them talked about relationships. A lot of them talked about taking more time. A lot of them talked about, you know, almost like slowing down on the journey of life. I found it interesting because I, I didn't have a ready-made answer. I didn't have a ready-made answer. With my 20-year-old self, which was completely unaware. Yeah, I was, I was completely unaware at 20. Yeah, I don't often talk about my, my you know, even my leading up to getting married to Pauline. It's not the best example for people. Um, but I wasn't living necessarily with... No, no, sorry, that's, let me, I just need to come back on that because I need to, I need to, I'm just going to pause the talk. Yeah. By that I don't mean, I'm not talking there about our relationship. What I'm talking about is if you had known me, I was a very unaware person at that type of age. And so I made decisions, I mean, it took me a long time to, you don't even want to go into it, just what I was like. It wasn't that I was necessarily really evil or bad. Uh, but I was really unaware, yeah, and I'm probably quite, you know, uh, cocky, and, you know, that's what I was like. I remember my 20-year-old self. And uh, so it wasn't that I had loads of regrets. I-, I was trying to think, what would I do, what had I wished I had done at 20 that would serve <laughs> me better now? What would I have wished? You know, and I-, I, c- I couldn't think. I thought, oh, maybe if I read the Bible more. Maybe that would have been good for my 20-year-old self. And then when I began to look into this particular passage and this particular talk, I realised that one of the things I would have liked to have told my 20-year-old self is hunger and thirst after God. Pursue him. Above everything else, pursue him. I remember my mum saying to another uh, woman, a younger lady in the church, she said, Her advice to her was, stick to the women in the church. Stick to them. And that woman took that advice and it it sort of shaped her. It kept her, it protected her. And I wonder whether I would have said to my 20-year-old self, make it your deepest desire to pursue God. Above everything else, make it your deepest desire to pursue God. To continually strive for righteousness. Jesus uses a physical need to describe that spiritual reality. Hunger and thirst. In our world, very few people, if we're really honest, have ever experienced real starvation or real thirst. You know, like when you're dying of those things. We don't necessarily know the feeling of unrelenting hunger, where your stomach aches through lack of food, or life-threatening thirst, where your mouth becomes so dry you can't even swallow. Most of us don't have that experience, because these are very deep, humbling realities when you can't satisfy yourself. Those of you who serve at food bank, you'll already know that when some people come to food bank, it's just humbling. It's just humbling when people walk in. And uh, some people it's like, oh, food, I'm gonna go and get some, it's my shopping list. But for other people, it's a humbling thing. They walk in, they sit in the corner, they don't wanna draw attention to themselves. What's got them there is, I suppose, An innate sense for survival and they need food. That's what takes them there and for some people that's their reality. In other countries that's a far more common experience. People are hungry. People don't scavenge around bins because they've got nothing better to do. You don't do that out of boredom. You don't try and find food in bins because you're bored or because you're trying to help someone else. It's because you get to that place where survival kicks in. Yeah? And when you're that hungry, what also kicks in, this, this desire for survival, how am I going to get through? And so when Jesus talked about humbling, uh, th- hungry, being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that's what people are thinking about. They're not thinking about what you and I think about. Oh, I'm a bit peckish right now. Just go and get myself a sandwich or go and have some dinner. Oh, I'm looking forward to dinner tonight. They're not thinking like that. They're like, it's deep. It's a deep reality for them. So when Jesus hearers heard these words, it was things like Psalm 42 where it says this, As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you. Oh, God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? Or Psalm 84 says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. That's deep. Those are not just surface thoughts. Oh, yeah, I I go to church. No, this is my soul yearns for him. It longs for him. It's as though I were going without food and I was starving and the only way I can get get fulfilled is to go to God. That's what he's talking about. We don't necessarily pick it up because we don't live in an environment where we've ever experienced that level of hunger or thirst. But the Psalms is full of that. It begins to make you understand why... In the New Testament, it says of David, he was a man after God's own heart. Because it's him who writes things like this. My heart and my flesh, they yearn. They yearn for him. It's almost like this spiritual reality, I get the physical urge. A physical urge. I mean, some of us, you know, occasionally in life, you get that sort of deep, deep, passionate desire thing. Yeah. Where you sort of, I mean, you, you know, you might get it. I, know, I don't mean to be trivial. Some people get it for football. Yeah. When I went to football the other day, uh, uh, Pete and I, we went to see West Ham, which was great. <coughs> I, 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 I love it because I how I love it. I love observing it because because going to football is for some people it's their church. The game is their idol. They sing songs of praise to the team. I was watching these people singing songs of praise, <coughs> raising their hands, shouting. Yeah, I mean how they go up and down, because the team's not always, you know, it's not like God, where he's faithful. <laughs> yeah. Your team sometimes let you down. Yeah, on that day they didn't, praise the Lord, but sometimes they do. But imagine, imagine if your deepest desire was to be satisfied in a football team that wasn't very good. Just imagine that. Imagine the ups and the downs that you would go through in your life. And Jesus is describing the hunger and thirst for righteousness in that kind of way. And what he's saying is, look, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you'll be filled. You'll be filled. Is that how it is for us? Do we desire God that way? Or do we desire other stuff that way? Do we desire anything that way? How do you get to the point where your heart becomes like this towards God? Do you know what? You need an awakening in your soul because it's very possible for me to respond for being to become a Christian I could come down the front in a meeting in a moment and I want to respond to Jesus but it's not gone this deep yet and it's actually very possible having done that response and done all of those things for it not to go this deep you need an awakening in your soul And there are two ways that you can get this awakening. The first way is when God, through his word, he reveals the truth to you and you believe it. So you just think about Martin Luther. Back at the beginning of the Reformation, he gets to that place where he is is totally fed up. He's like, this can't be the way it is. It it can't be that, that God is so distant from us that we have to do all this stuff to get to him. He gets this revelation of, oh no, it's by faith. I get there by faith. And it changed him. It was a revelation of the truth that changed his life, and he was prepared to die for it. It changed him. Or you think about Jonathan Edwards back there in the mid-18th century, a pastor in in the States who who began, that is attributed to the great awakening in the States in his church in New England, as he just began to preach the word. He preached and he preached. He wasn't a particularly great preacher. He used to read his sermons. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reading a sermon, but he used to just read his sermons. But actually, at times, it was so powerful, the Spirit was so much on people, that there came a point when the whole town was filled with talking about God. He preached one sermon in 1741, and it became known as Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached this sermon, and it was so anointed that that it speaks of of men on... uh, Sitting on their pews, hanging onto the chairs, because they were frightened that they might slip into hell. It so affected people, they began to talk about God. There was revelation that had come. And do you know what that sermon? You know, it's one of the most popular sermons even today. People read it still. Probably people try and preach it. So sometimes God reveals something to you from his word and you go, whoa, that's impacted me. That's caused me, that's shaped me, that's touched me. But for many of us, if we're honest, the awakening of the heart doesn't come that way. It can come that way, but for many of us it doesn't come that way. It comes in another way. It comes when our circumstances and our situations leave us basically unfulfilled. It comes when I'm not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm hungering and thirsting for something else. I get that something else and it doesn't fulfill me. Or I don't get that something else and I'm not fulfilled. So if we're really honest and we went round this room and we said, how many of you, when you came to Beacon, it was because there was such a call of God and you were so pleased to come and to join the people here and to be part of this church in Brixton? Many of you say, (coughs) yeah. Or how many of you got here because somehow things didn't work out as you thought they might? And somehow you ended up here and you thought, how did I get here? Of all the places in the world, God, how did I get here? (laughs) And you come to it that way. And what that does, because what we all do, me, you, what we all do, is it's not that we don't hunger and thirst, we do. But we hunger and thirst for other stuff. Many of us look for significance. We want to make a contribution. We want our lives to count for something. Many of us look for security. Do you know what? We want to be unconditionally loved. We want to know that we're just loved, that we're just accepted. Many of us look for self-worth. We want to be valued. We want people to like us. We want people to love us. We want some, We want to be special to someone. We can't be special to everyone. Let me be special to someone. We want that. We desire those things. And what we do is we hunger and thirst for them. That's what we actually do. We hunger and thirst for them. We seek the fame. We seek the fortune. We seek the relationships. We seek the ease and the comfort. We're willing to go through a little bit of stuff. Okay, God, you're, you're not on time, but you're coming, I'm sure. It's not quite worked out yet, but I'm sure you're on your way. I'm sure it's about to break, whatever it is that I'm hunger, that I'm really seeking. But so often, we end up dissatisfied. And at that point, you have a choice. You have a choice. Because you can just find another way to hunger and thirst for stuff. Oh, didn't get it that way. I'd have to find another way around. Or for some of us, that's what takes us to God. So I'm already a Christian, but that's what takes me to God in a, like, in a deep way. That's what makes me go, oh, God, I don't understand. Oh, God, why? Oh, God, I want to learn to trust you more. That's what takes us to him. And when you get there, you realize, oh, God, all those things I was after, do you know what? They're just not as important as I thought. I mean, Phil testifies to this quite, uh, quite amazingly. He often talks about, you know, he was doing all of this stuff, life was going all this way, and then, and then, and then he began to meet God. He'd been a Christian for years, <laughs> but he began to meet God in such a way that, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't matter to me so much now. I used to worry about those. I don't worry about that anymore because he met God. You can either come through revelation or you can come through your circumstance, but either way you can come. It doesn't matter how you come. God's not sitting there saying, well, you've not found the right way. You can come to him through circumstances that have gone difficult, that have gone pear-shaped. You can come to him and honestly say, God, you know in truth that thing bothers me. If that doesn't happen in my life, God, you know I'm going to struggle. You know that. So you can come to him any which way. And God affirms the approach, not just in this beatitude, blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst, but he says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Put it first. And what is the promise? All these other things will be added. You'll get them. They'll be added. But seek first the kingdom. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I defined righteousness simply as the wholehearted pursuit of God. Robert Murray McShane, he was a Scottish pastor up in Dundee, and he wasn't particularly well known. He used to pray one prayer, God make me holy, God make me holy. He used to pray that all the time. He went off from his church for about six months, and yeah, you might suggest this, and revival came <laughs> <laughs> for Robert Murray McShane. And he came back, and he wasn't like, oh my goodness me, what's happened? You know, he didn't feel that personally, or oh goodness me, is that me? Is that?" Something? He just prayed that prayer. People used to say, what's gone on? What's gone on? And somebody went up to see him. Or they went up to the church to try and find out what's happened. What's the key to this? And they were taken to the place. where they just said, oh, you just need to follow here. And it was like, sit at this desk and put your elbows on the desk and your head in your hands and pray this prayer. God, make me holy. Because that's what he did. It wasn't that he had found some super-duper new way. It's that he hungered and he thirsted after righteousness, after God. He made it his biggest thing. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, I mean, this like this is like a bit big for me. And you know, Sophie prayed, God's gentle and there's grace. But hey, don't we want to be inspired by the fact that God has a much, much bigger plan? And if you hunger and thirst after him, not only will you be more happy, you will be more satisfied. And yet at any given moment you could say to yourself, really? 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 You could say that to yourself. The biggest issue here is not righteousness itself. It's the striving and the seeking after righteousness. It's not the righteousness. It's the striving and the seeking after righteousness. Although it is helpful, and just for a moment, we'll look at what does it mean by righteousness and what doesn't it mean you will know if you're a christian here hopefully that you are righteous because of christ and the and uh, people often talk about that as being imputed righteousness it's righteousness that's been given to me that's not something i've done to earn it's been given to me i have been clothed in his righteousness the reason i can stand before god guilt-free is because of what jesus did not because of what i did so when God looks on me, he doesn't see me. He sees me clothed in Christ. And I'm righteous because of that. Yeah? I am declared righteous, which means I'm declared not guilty. I'm declared justified. I'm declared free. Yeah? That is imputed righteousness that we all have. If you be Christian, that's what you have. But the Bible talks about other forms of righteousness. It talks about personal righteousness. It says of numerous people, Noah is one. Noah was a righteous man. What it's not saying there is that he had imputed righteousness through Christ. What it is saying there is that Noah lived right before God. He lived right. He lived well. Because righteousness is about a relationship. Even imputed righteousness is about my relationship to Christ that affects my relationship to God. Personal righteousness is about my relationship to God, me wanting to live according to his ways. You see, sometimes we can get a little confused because we can think that I can be saved, I can, be, I, I, I can have that imputed righteousness, I can receive the grace of God, but I don't need to live righteous moral righteousness that isn't it's not really important my, my sex life that's that's not that's not important to god god understands the culture he understands these modern ways but you know what god picks out people who were righteous and it meant that they didn't just they weren't just sacrificed in terms of they believed in him but they were obedient Obedience counts for something. Even today, obedience counts for something. Even though we receive grace and all those things, living right matters. God has given it very clear. You, know, you just need to read the Bible and you become very clear what he thinks. You can decide not to live that way, but it's very clear what he thinks. And it matters. And he says, I prefer obedience to sacrifice. You could give £1,000 a month to church. You could give all the hours that you can. You could pray in every meeting. You could be on every rotor. But if over here you're sinning, it's obedience that counts. So there's that personal righteousness, and then there is social righteousness. And by social, I don't mean like, let's have a social. I mean the Lord loves righteousness and justice in his mind, they're the same thing. You can't be righteous without being just. James talks about, and some people say that James, uh, the book of James in the New Testament, is James' response to the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. And what does he say? He says faith and action need to work together. It's not enough just to believe stuff. If you're not prepared to do stuff. It's not enough just to say to people, God loves you, if you're not prepared to demonstrate that in some practical way. It's not enough just to thank God that he's given you money to get yourself a 42-inch TV flat screen. It's not enough to do that and say, oh, I'm just acknowledging God, and to watch people have nothing that you could help. It's not enough. Faith without works, is dead. And it's not that James is unaware of of righteousness that's credited by faith. He's not unaware of that. He speaks of that. But he also just speaks of this reality. There is this sense of righteousness and justice. Rightness. Live right. Live how God would have you live. Don't, Don't get influenced by the culture which tells you it's okay to do this now, it's okay, this values it, we've moved on from there. Oh, surely the Bible's an old book. Live right. You live God's way, the promise is that you will be filled. You'll be satisfied. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? So I'll just return to that question that I asked earlier. What would my life or your life look like If from the age of 20, we had made it our priority to hunger and thirst after righteousness. What would our lives look like if we had said to ourselves, got on our knees and we said, God, I don't know very much, but what I do know is that if I hunger and thirst after you, you promise that you'll bless me and you promise that I'll be satisfied. And so I pray, God, that that's what you'll do for me. What would our lives look like? Think about how many hours of a day you spend trying to satisfy yourself in whatever way. And the disappointment that you can feel because you can't. You see, hunger and thirst are natural, but they're not just for food and water, but for other things. Imagine if you had the job that you loved, but you weren't looking in that job for your significance. You weren't looking at work to make life count, oh, I want my life to count for something. You weren't doing that. But you had a job that you loved. Imagine that you had the job, but you weren't pursuing it in that way. Imagine if you were married to the man or woman of your dreams, but you weren't looking to them for your self-worth. You weren't hanging on to their comments and how, what they said about you and how you looked and how you felt and what you did. You weren't holding on to those things because self-worth wasn't your goal. Imagine being married and that's your situation. Imagine becoming very successful, but not finding your security or your identity in it. It's almost like, oh yeah, God's given me this stuff. I don't know why he's done that, but he's given me this stuff. But, I'm not, but you're not pursuing it. You know what I mean. You're not, you're not really going for that. It comes your way, but you're not going for it. Imagine living in a world where that's what you're like. That's what I think it would be if we got to the place where we could say, I'm going to pursue God first. That hunger, that thirst, those natural deep desires, I'm going to push them that way. And I'm going to give everything else up. My will. In one of the things that Les said last week, he said that Jesus came and, and Jesus said, you know, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. That's quite a powerful statement in the modern world, because we do all sorts of wills. We hope his will comes in line, but, you know, even if it doesn't, I'll still go to church. We hope his will came in. Jesus came without an intention to do his own thing. He didn't come pursuing significance or security or self-worth. But oh, did he become very significant. Oh, was he very secure. What would you say to your 20-year-old self? I'm sure there are some flippant answers you can give. I think the picture that God wants us to paint is this. That question that we read in Psalm 42, when can I go to meet with God that's what the psalmist writes imagine walking down Brixton High Street going into the market reading the Brixton blog and all the local Twitter accounts, some of you do that anyway imagine if they all talked about God imagine if people were asking questions like oh when's the next prayer meeting and it was retweeted a thousand times imagine if people were saying oh oh i just need to be in his imagine that just imagine a time this was the time that jonathan edwards lived through it was called revival it was called the great awakening imagine if people began to pursue right relationships and they stopped justifying sin Imagine a world where people said, do you know what, we know that's wrong. I know I can justify it to myself, to you, but I know that's wrong. Imagine if people stopped doing that. Imagine if people began to give a bit more time to their kids. Imagine if people worked harder at their relationships because they knew it would be better for those young ones that they're raising if they could work at this. Imagine if people went through some difficult moments as they talked it out. Worked it out, prayed it out, because they knew, oh, God, you're at the center of this. Imagine if we lived in a world where families were reunited, where some of the clubs closed down. I don't want to be a killjoy, but you know what I mean. Where drug dealing stopped, prostitution ceased. Churches began to run out of room. Pastors were on their knees praying. Imagine a world where that happened. What would bring about such a world? It would be if there were people like you and me who hungered and thirsted after righteousness. It's not that that world is, oh yeah, okay, that's a really good thought. Yeah, oh yeah, great, great. No, that world could happen. Because God can do that, can't he? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. That's not just uh, the lines of songs. That's true. Yeah, just in case it's true. Just imagine living in a world where God established his kingdom in this place. The thought is almost unthinkable. But I paint it anyway because it can be done. And part of its doing is if we learn to hunger and thirst for God above everything else. Let's pray. Father, this morning we we come to you and we give you thanks because you are such a good God and you're with us. And Father, I thank you that you've spoken through our time of worship by your spirit. I pray you would speak to hearts and lives through this message. And I pray, God, that it will lead to change in our lives. Lord, I pray for people to at least begin to question, oh, what would it mean for me to pursue God above everything? To trust him with my future? to trust him with my present, to trust him with my past, to trust him with my wealth and my possessions, to trust him in every every one of my relationships, to trust him with all, all the things I want to do, my dreams and my hopes, to trust him, what would it be? Father, we know you're trustworthy. I pray you would help us to learn to trust we pray these things in your name and we pray them for your glory Amen Let's stand and sing together You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording If you would like more information about us our vision, the team or upcoming events please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.